Hello, and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan, and this is my co-host, Gabby. Hello. So this week, we will be discussing the long-running cult favorite sitcom, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which just wrapped its 13th season on FXX. I believe that is the most seasons uh, a sitcom has ever had in America. It revolves around a group of highly misanthropic friends who own a bar in Philadelphia, but much of the show's humor derives from the fact that the characters are so unpleasant, yet somehow, mostly, still kind of lovable. You have been telling me to watch this show for many, many years. And because it has so many seasons, I always thought I'm going to watch this at some point, And I never got around to it. You are not the only person who had recommended it to me. And I was sure I would like it, but it was just was a big, a big task. And uh, I finally started watching it in March or April of this year. And it w- binged it very rapidly. Um, I just loved it intensely immediately sometimes you encounter a piece of media that just hits you in exactly the right place at exactly the right time and this was that thing for me uh and it as i said it just finished uh the new season so it seemed like this was a good time to discuss it it had a great season and a particularly great finale yes before we go any further listeners if you've not watched the show i hope you're going to listen to this episode because this podcast will explain precisely why always sunny is incredible um i have given this like manifesto to a couple of friends who otherwise assumed they would not want to see like an edgy comedy with politically incorrect humor which is something that i also would not i would think it would not appeal to me but it's actually amazing take our word for it this show this this episode you can listen to like spoilers don't matter for like basically most of the show we will give a spoiler warning right at the end for like the end of the most recent season season 13 because there is like a kind of thing which we'd want to warn for but listen in yeah i mean this is not really a spoilerable show except for what just happened so you will all be fine and consider this our pitch to you to watch this show uh because it's so good it's i mean i started in the middle of season four which i think is what morgan did as well like the first episode i watched was the musical episode um but morgan recommends just starting at the beginning of season four well the musical episode is the season four finale okay and it is one of the best episodes so this is one of the things they're kind of known for is this musical episode which they actually toured the country with for a time with the actual extended version of this musical which i wish i could have seen and it is incredible but i think it kind of works better once you have a grasp on the characters as people um i enjoyed it watching it cold but then when i went back and watched season four from the beginning and then hit that episode i was like oh no i get this now um because what the show does so well is sort of combine its unbelievably specific grasp on these characters who I'll describe in a second and come up with just like insane premises for episodes. So this show has been going on for over a decade and that is a crazy length of time for a show to have been on and to still be good. Yeah, because with sitcoms, basically what you get is a few good years, usually like seasons two to five of a sitcom are good. And after that, it just really goes into the doldrums and the longer it continues, the worse it gets. And especially if you're like American, like kind of sitcoms where there's a bunch of episodes and it's like based around a group of static characters, they just become calcified and sort of rot into their own little stereotypes. And this show keeps things fresh so well. Well, it simultaneously has like, it's not formulaic, but like basically every episode is like, 
the characters do something terrible and self-destructive and end up, you know, self-destructing by the end of the episode is what happens in pretty much every story. But they all feel kind of really interesting and some of them are based around like a really basic concept, like all of the characters end up at a restaurant by accident at the same time. And some of them will just be something absolutely batshit, like completely ridiculous. And they occasionally they'll have these high concept things like the musical, but it's just really impressive. They've managed to stay kind of creative and bring in new ideas for so long and I I listened to like some interview with one of the creators recently and they were basically like we never knew when we were gonna get cancelled because they're this quite like experimental sitcom that's filmed on a shoestring budget on like the FX channel it was like one of their first original like drama series that wasn't just syndicated whatever and they were like well we might as well just jump the shark immediately so, like, they physically can't jump the sharks. They were like, well, we're just going to start it in, like, season one with characters, like, getting addicted to meth and, like, <laughs> engaging in cannibalism and, like, leaping naked out of sofas. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really quite something. Um, I think that they have such a huge uh, advantage over most comedies at this point or comedies that are considered sort of critically acclaimed complete creative control well yes that is that is the the true advantage but the sort of prestigious comedies on hbo say or you know even like netflix or other shows on fx or fxx are all serialized to a certain degree serialized or not super funny yes but, like, the not-super-funny comedy, which, it, it's kind of its own genre, and some of those shows are really good, but it's very hard to maintain both that tone and, like, dramatic plots for many seasons. Like it's, Which is the same thing that dramas run into, right? Like, you just can't have a story that goes on for that long. This is why people revere Breaking Bad so much, because that's basically the only drama that I am aware of that had five seasons that were essentially perfect plot-wise, right? You get something like Mad Men, which is my favorite show, and that has seasons that I think are atrocious because it's just, it's impossible. Whereas something like this, unlike sitcoms in the 90s, they only do 13 episodes. Or no, they do 10 episodes a season now. They had been doing 13, which is a much more manageable task than 22. And they have there have been like some modest character developments like it's definitely not like you can watch an episode from now and it feels exactly like it did 10 years ago and the biggest you know character development we'll talk about later but it's not like you watch these 10 episodes that just aired and there's a plot (laughs) like they're individual things and that i think allows them so much more creative freedom and allows them to bring in you know new writers with new ideas and write a one-off and it makes it so rewatchable like I have been you know eating dinner and I'll watch one random episode from whatever season because the world is horrible and I want to just not think about it for 20 minutes and that's very relaxing and it's they just haven't they have the art down um and they're only 22 minutes long which almost nothing is anymore and it I like, it's, there's just almost like it's an outdated art form, the sort of, this kind of sitcom, and yet the content that they put in it is, like, batch it. A lot so, of people compare it to Seinfeld, which I've not yes. watched, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't like. 
I think that, but I think that that is a good comparison because, and there was a Seinfeld reference in this season actually, and they're now shooting on the Seinfeld lot, which is kind of funny. But um, the whole joke of Seinfeld was that all these people are terrible and they're never going to change, which is also the joke. Oh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, and famously, the last episode of Seinfeld, which I've never actually seen, but I remember it airing, is like they all wind up in prison. <laughs> and and the, the show was kind of like, yeah, these people are horrible. Like, have you not noticed this the whole time you've been watching the show? And everyone was like, oh... I, oh, I, okay. I don't know if I like that very much, which I think is quite avant-garde and impressive. Um, but the fact that they're kind of getting older and getting more and more terrible because they're getting older and haven't changed allows the show to keep going and still be funny because it's just mm. like, oh, yeah, they still suck. I mean, it's essentially like, the opposite of Big Bang Theory, where... They like I mean I don't watch Big Bang Theory but it's like those actors are now like I guess forty five but they're dressing like twenty five year olds and they're still living in this like flat share and they're sort of frozen in time and there's just completely like arrested stories like they can't really develop which is the issue with a lot of sitcoms um, and with this it's like recent episodes they're like these characters are in their forties and kind of the joke now is that they are deeply immature but it just becomes more psychologically alarming with every impending right. year. <laughs> Yeah, so so the characters basically are um, there's Dennis who's played by Glenn Howerton and Dee played by Caitlin Olson who are twins, and then Danny DeVito plays their father who is not actually their biological father, but who may be the biological father of Charlie Day who is the friend from high school. They're all friends from high school, and then Mac who is the other friend in this group played by Rob McElhaney. And Charlie Day, Glenn Howerton, and Rob, Rob McElhaney are. Uh, the creators of the show like Rob is the showrunner and they kind of write most of it although there's other writers who come in and do the odd episode yes they actually the only episode this past season that was written by any of them was the finale which Mm. was interesting because they brought on a lot of women writers I think six maybe of the episodes this season were written by women um possibly five but that is a lot more than has ever been the case previously and they had a lot of female directors as well which was great and exciting and brought kind of new ideas. To Much like Silicon the Valley, the other show we like to watch, which is primarily about unbearably terrible white men. Yes. And has like a ton of women on the creative team. And it's like, that's, that's part of why it's good. <laughs> yeah. I think this show is much better than Silicon Valley, but you are correct oh, to yeah, draw that sure. parallel because yes, the women know what's, what's up. Particularly in one episode this season that, uh, is was called Time's Up for the Gang and was, as you said, the only piece of media that has yet been made about the Me Too movement that has anything to say about the Me Too movement of consequence. It's set <laughs> in a sexual harassment seminar and it's hysterical. So, so funny. And funny because it does, it, it's just like vicious. So brutal. <laughs> like, um, and that is an example of an episode actually that was I wouldn't, I don't know how, when I would necessarily want to watch that one again. Like, it was pretty, pretty unsparing. But because of the way the show is structured, they can do an episode like that, where I watched it and thought it was amazing and laughed so hard, but was like, wow, that was pretty tough. And then do another episode the next week that's just kind of like a funny sitcom episode. And that's fine. So, like, 
Danny DeVito obviously is great on this show. He is great in everything. He's kind but of he's their playing one, like, like the simplest character. Yes. He's like he is playing just a filthy, terrible old man. It's funny. It's fine. And then Dennis and Dee, the two twins, are both just like horrible in a very funny way. Dee is the only really, really self-absorbed. Yeah. Dee is like desperate for attention. And is like is like riddled with internalized misogyny and is like constantly bullied by all of the men, but in a way that's like very funny, and she's also like incredibly mean and awful. Yes. And like constantly wants their approval. And Dennis is probably the worst person in the world. Oh, yeah. like he is like an absolute psychopath. There's several episodes that strongly imply that he's actually secretly a serial killer. Um, like he's probably a rapist. Um, oh, for sure. The show definitely has like a handle on how to make jokes about rape in like a good way which is also virtually unheard of <laughs> um well i think what they do so well with him and the reason that i sort of started listing off the characters is that we were talking about um them getting older mm-hmm. and sort of it becoming more pathetic and so he's like the ringleader of this group like he is the only person with any kind of uh Social skills. Social skills or attention span. <laughs> they cannot focus on anything for more than five seconds. But he can. And so he's kind of the person in charge. And they all look up to him. And, like, he's left at the end of the last season and in the first episode, which is not one of the funniest ones, but kind of works in the context of the story. Like, he hasn't come back yet. And they're all just like, what do we do without Dennis? And he comes back and makes, like, a really bad joke. And they're like, oh, my God, it's so funny. Like, they, they just... They all kind of idolize him, even though he's so terrible. And then there's an episode this season where he has to interact with people in, like, the outside world, outside of their little, like, the, the gang, it's called. And he just, like, doesn't know how to talk to humans <laughs> anymore because he's been so just, like, entrenched in this little group that in which he has total power and is, like, viewed so positively. And then when he goes outside of it, he's just like, what? And I was well, like, like, one oh, of the things that, like, oh, no. consistently works throughout every season of this show is that there's always obviously kind of like outsider characters and as soon as like because you spend so much time in this little kind of terrible social group where they're just sitting out in this bar and often having like they'll have like a screaming argument that will last for like a full five minutes of a 22 minute episode but then when it zooms out and you see stuff from the perspective of like a normal human civilian everyone else is just like unbelievably disgusted and horrified (laughs) by their behavior and it just makes it like so much funnier (laughs) yes but I think they have an unbelievably good handle on balancing the bad behavior with the generally kind of light tone of the show because they this, there's a lot of stuff over the course of the show about Dennis being a sexual predator. Like he he is. That's just a, a fact. That's I mean the show has not been coy about that. But I don't think you're supposed to watch the show and just like be consistently horrified and disgusted by his presence, right? Like, because it would be unpleasant to watch yeah. if you were just like, oh, 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 the whole time. Um, and I, th- there are several jokes about him potentially being a serial killer that are very funny, but I think that actually there are other jokes that kind of suggest, like, <laughs> I don't think that dude could win a fight. Like, he is such a coward that, <laughs> like, he could, like, would if he tried to kill someone, he would just, like, roll over the second, right? So, like, it's this weird dichotomy of him being quite threatening in certain ways and the show being very smart about that, and then also him just being this, like, pathetic man who, like, can't 
handle normal situations. And there are moments with that character where he is presented quite sympathetically, but also the show knows he's a monster. And so you're able to watch him and see him as a person, which you have kind of have to do in order to watch the show and, cons- and like not just go- lose your mind. Um, but like there are a few moments this season where they are that are just like I was laughing so hard. Yeah, that and have I mean, to like, do I think with we probably that, both like, have like really low ooh. thresholds for like if you're just watching like kind of entertainment TV. And there's just, like, something misogynist or some character is, like, doing something where you're, like, that's just, like, unpleasant behavior. We're just, like, fuck it. I'll just go watch something else. Like, you're going to dump it. Whereas I've watched, I would say, probably a full 10 seasons of this show where one of the main characters is a rapist. And I'm, like, this is hysterical. Which is, I can't think of anything else that kind of creates that balance. Yes. No, I I don't think there... This is why I think the show is so good. Like, I think it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. And there's recency bias, of course, like the last thing you watch that you love, you think like, oh, this is the best thing ever. But I genuinely think this is one of the best comedies I've ever seen. And that handle of tone is precisely why. Um, and I, you know, most of the characters are, are horrible. I think that Charlie Day, who plays a character called Charlie, is definitely playing the one character who occasionally behaves really badly, but isn't playing a horrible person. Person well, well, he and Mac such. are the most vulnerable. Yes. And Mac is the gay character who, if you have been on Tumblr ever, you probably are aware that there's a gay character on Sorry, Philadelphia. Yeah, and do not, do not like judge this show by the way that people respond to it in Tumblr because people have a very sincere emotional response to Mac and the fact that he's gay, which I completely respect, but do not expect this show to be like a beautiful example of like queer representation or a sensitive character because he, like everyone else, is awful. And also for the most of the show, He's closeted. He's very homophobic yes. <laughs> and conservative and a huge idiot. He is just the dumbest of all the characters. He's so stupid. It's I it's great. And he's I played mean, by the showrunner, which shows it's an interesting choice for the showrunner, because it's like it shows Yeah, he's not trying to make himself look cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think the gay stuff is handled in a very smart way for the most part because he's not I mean, as the show goes on, he definitely gets the most kind of attention of the characters because he's the only person who has any kind of coherent plot arc. Yes, and pathos. Um, But he's not given special treatment in the sense that, like, as you say... He doesn't get, like, big arcs. He's just... uh, Yeah, it's, it's done in quite a scattered and subtle way. Like, there will be the occasional episode where it's foregrounded more, but it's not like it's a coherent plot. And he's still just, like, horrible. (laughs) And, because they're all horrible. And it would be kind of cheap to be like, well, now Mac is a good person. Like, no, (laughs) he's just, he's awful. I mean, I love him. He's, He's great. But, you know... Please, let's be, let's be yeah, real I mean, here. he finally, like, like he, after being closeted for years and, like, kind of coming out in one of the more recent seasons, he only officially comes out, like, publicly in order to, like, win an argument in small claims court. <laughs> no, that's when so, he comes out, that's when he comes out, period. He, well, there, was the, there yeah. was the episode when they're kind of in the afterlife and he comes out and then goes straight back into the closet. Yes, which made everyone very upset. And it was interesting in the interviews, like, they, they did that and, like, thought it was funny, which it was. But then the 
like queer fans were really upset about it because they had been like waiting for this for years, which I get. And Rob McElhaney, the showrunner, has said in interviews like they weren't really expecting that response, and then saw the response and were like, "Oh, it's because like he's literally the only. I think he and maybe Charlie Day are the only characters where you can really imagine anyone having a sincerely like." empathetic response to them right yeah because like obviously the reason why it works is because the humor is such that occasionally there'll be something like really they'll you know it relies on the idea of these characters saying stuff that everyone will have at some point felt like something along those lines not everything obviously but like once every few episodes you'll be like that's a terrible dark thought that like someone you've had or one of your friends is like voiced in a private environment but you would never want to see on television yeah and that's why it works but like it's not like they're relatable because no one is that bad that you would ever (laughs) want to interact with (laughs) yes but the stuff with mac definitely is the thing that as you said like of course people are relating to that the most and they reacted to it the showrunners reacted to that response in a very like humane and thoughtful way, which basically was like, okay, well, we did that and it was funny, but why don't we just have him come out because we can do something with that too and people will like it. And they did. And uh, that led to other things this season that we'll talk about. But um, I think that, I mean, the character is just so funny and Rob McElhaney is so funny and it's, you know, he's, he's great. Um, but Charlie- I mean, it's kind of the opposite of South Park where it's like kind of not like South Park is like nihilistic sort of humor that is trying to like it it thinks it's apolitical but it's actually sort of American libertarian like the showrunners seem really unpleasant and like they basically create like a really unpleasant cultural environment around a lot of the people like especially people who were like teenage boys and really obsessed with that show when it was really big it's kind of toxic and offensive and leads people to just be like have 4chan troll humor whereas in this show even though like the the humor is extremely offensive um the showrunners clearly have quite progressive values and the whole joke of the show is that these people are really terrible yes well the joke is on them yeah which doesn't mean that every single joke works but the vast majority of it i think is successful and it's the rare example of something that actually has like provocative political humor that I think is successful in that. And I think probably a lot of that comes from the general like environment in which the show is made, which is on this tiny network. You know, obviously more people watch this now than they did at the very beginning of the show when literally nobody watched it, but it's still quite a niche thing. They have no supervision from the network. Like they've said publicly, like we've literally never gotten a note. <laughs> from FXX like they don't tell them what to do the people running the show are the actors in the show and the producers of the show which normally when you have that level of creative control means that people just get like megalomaniacal and do something like do horrible things but in this case appears like they have made a there's always that like magical five percent where the creative control is actually good (laughs) yeah and so you have this kind of Like, it feels very underground still, even though it is obviously, like, on a television network. And, like, they have, you know, money to make this thing. And they just do whatever the fuck they want. And, like, they can get away with saying things that I I think in almost any other context, just it just wouldn't work. And 
it, like I watched so much of it in such a short span of time and I was just laughing so much at all of it so that even if there was like the occasional joke that I was like eh it didn't bother me that much because it was in this it was in the context of the bigger thing and I could sort of see their project right and like the there was some stuff earlier on that you're like eh but um you can tell what they're trying to do and I, I am okay with comedy that doesn't always succeed 100% of the time if if it is attempting something that is interesting um I think usually debates about comedy where people are like you have to be able to say anything or like these like old white male comedians who are terrible but that is like the correct argument I think should be some level of like creative freedom it just gets sort of mishandled by those garbage men um and this is the example of something that like just works most of the time um and like we haven't talked very much about specific episodes but no like it works because it's just good (laughs) it's just a really good show um why not we just pick like two each maybe yeah to highlight there's one where charlie day's character is like considered like the janitor kind of yeah, like, I mean, like all while all the other work. characters are super evil, Charlie Day's character is just disgusting. Yes. So he, like, like, drinks paint and, like, <laughs> rolls around naked in the sewer and it's, like, very weird. Well, he was abused as a child. Like, they explicitly yeah. refer to this. And they, like, this, again, is one of the things that the show is really smart about is they will, this, and they do stuff with all of the childhood backgrounds of the characters, but he's the one who clearly has been the most like, like traumatized as a child and they'll kind of touch on it and not go into massive amounts of detail because it's a comedy and that's not what they're doing, but it clearly informs everything. They have like such a solid psychological background for everyone. And in Charlie's case, I mean, it's very hard to pick a favorite character in the show because they're basically all my favorite, but Charlie Day as a performer just absolutely kills me. Um, Those who've not seen the sitcom, you've probably seen him in Pacific Rim where he plays the American one of the two mad scientists. Yes. And whenever Charlie Day is in anything, I'm just like, okay, give him an Oscar. Like, (laughs) he's just so fucking good. He just, he's just so weird. (laughs) And... Every, there are a number of sort of Charlie-focused episodes that are amazing, but there's one in particular, I've only seen once, I have to go back and rewatch it, where he's preparing the bar for the um, health code like inspection. And it, like, it's not one shot, but it feels that way because it's just this frenetic, like, following him around the bar as he's attempting to prepare, like, all of the, you know rigged stuff that he does to make it appear like this disgusting bar passes any kind of like which it absolutely there should be oh, no and there's one way, like, like in the background everyone else because like in it, basically every episode at least one of the characters is running some kind of scam so like you see this episode from charlie's perspective yes and like the other characters are like okay we're running a scam to do with like stakes and air miles and they never <laughs> explain it because you're just like well that's the kind of insane thing they'd be doing and it just focuses on him like trying to clean the bar yeah, and they're just like, what are you doing? Like, whatever. I think at the end of the episode, he's like, we did it! Like, I passed the thing! And they're like, well, we always pass, so what's the big deal? And you've just watched him for 20 minutes literally, like, hurl himself around the thing. But, like, that's, I think, a really good episode, a really good example of, like, an episode that highlights the show's strengths because it is one of the more high-concept ones. And the performance is just so amazing, but it's not one or two of those things. 
that is exclusively good, like they highlight each other. Um, and and it's hilarious. Like I, you you do genuinely laugh out loud, or I did alone in my apartment watching this, which is a pretty you know high testament to the show's quality. Well, like one of the things that's really interesting about him is that he and actually several of the members of the main cast are not originally comic actors. So Charlie Day was a dramatic actor. And I think like Rob Mack and Glenn Harriton, like that, like when they all met, they were essentially jobbing actors. Like one or two of them had got jobs in sitcoms, but also done, you know, like CSI or whatever. Um, and they like were not people who came from a stand-up background. Like Caitlin Olsen came from some kind of improv background, I think. Yes. But the others weren't comics. And also this wasn't, you kind of expect this to be one of these shows where it's like, oh, these guys have all known each other since high school and like they put this together in their backyard and worked in it for ages. And it's like they didn't. They met like two months before they started getting into it and then they like filmed a pilot on a camcorder and then sent the, like sent it round to their manager because they all had the same manager by coincidence. And then like networks were like, wow, we've never seen someone film their own pilot on like $100 before. Why don't you get a show? <laughs> it's like a weird origin story, but it's just like, it's very interesting to see the way that their kind of different creative background plays into the creation of the show and also when you listen to interviews with them and also if you look at their social media like I don't follow any of these guys in social media because they're not fucking funny they're not funny on social media they all have boring ass social media accounts if you listen to an interview with them they talk a lot about the craft not in like a pretentious way but just in a really serious like workmanlike way and a few years ago I listened to some podcast with Charlie Day where he was just like yeah it's just hard work we come into work and we like try really hard and we do what we are doing and we make sure that it's funny and then we polish it and we rewrite for hours and hours and I'm like this is great because usually it's like you hear like a bunch of fucking bros and they're like, yeah, we prank each other all day and it's really fun. And I'm like, yeah, okay, your show's good because you work really hard and you're really serious about it. And also Charlie Day is like a genius of improvised comedy. Yeah. Because <laughs> he just like, the humour is that all of these characters have such extraordinarily extreme reactions. I like I think Dennis and Dee and Charlie are the most because like Charlie literally just goes like absolutely bugfuck on a regular basis and just screams and like D constantly is on the edge of a nervous breakdown and Glenn Harriton when he's playing Dennis just has these like terrifying demented eyes like bugging out of his head when he's about to like go and murder someone so <laughs> he went to Juilliard so yep. he's using his <laughs> education for a good cause and sadly most of them are not getting dramatic roles I think Charlie Day is now being in movies and I think it's all thanks to Guillermo del Toro who saw an episode of this show where Charlie Day just murders a bunch of rats with a baseball bat and was like I'm hiring this man for a blockbuster <laughs> It's another favorite episode of mine. It's a good one. Mm. Uh, okay, you you have to recommend at least one. I think you were gonna you were gonna mention one. Yeah. Um. So I actually like right before recording this episode, the one that I decided to rewatch was um the dinner episode where I don't know it's called like the gang dines out or something. Yeah. Um. But it's like basically all of the characters coincidentally go to the same Italian restaurant in Philadelphia. So there's like Dennis and Mac are having dinner together on like their monthly dinner date, and then uh, Charlie and Frank, Danny DeVito's character, are having dinner together like their roommates, but they're posing as like a couple, <laughs> and they're like just, they're just there to like basically have like a weird pretend dinner because they're both like so weird socially maladjusted they never do anything in like a normal human way so like frank's wearing a wig and like charlie day's wearing this like posh overcoat and then d is by herself 
because she's got like a group on and she's just like hysterically self-conscious about being a single woman alone in the restaurant and is like trying to get people to sit with her and is being unbearable and then everyone else in the restaurant is like a really normal looking extra and like a group of them are just having like a cheerful family dinner welcoming someone back who was like deployed overseas and then each of the individual like characters are having these like really dysfunctional conversations on the side so as soon as they all realize they're in the same room it turns into a power struggle where each of them individually thinks that the other table should come and visit to them and pay homage <laughs> and they all say this they all like use the same phrase and it's like no one says that that's not normal <laughs> and it's like dennis and mac have this relationship where mac is essentially in love with dennis and they have this relationship this very kind of old divorcing married couple which comes up in several episodes there's another really good one where they have to share a house in the suburbs um and it's like mac is just like being really mistreated by dennis but also he's like really annoying to be around <laughs> and dennis is like getting really frustrated with the restaurant and just being like the worst customer and this poor waiter has to wait on all of these people and they get into this power struggle over wine and there's just loads of really interesting details because the way it's filmed is they just have this sort of like faint italian restaurant music in the background which makes it really funny and there's just these little details like mac is wearing a gray like stretchy polo shirt and like a tie <laughs> as his formal outfit because he just doesn't have a button-down shirt and two colognes and two different colognes at once <laughs> and then there's just these kind of art cinema shots that are really over dramatized where you'll see two characters like staring at each other across the room between <laughs> other people and it just all kind of builds to this apex of social horror at the end and it's it's just incredible <laughs> there's some karaoke that happens that's there is a really beautiful romantic moment mm. just mwah, like so embarrassing so good so bad all at once yeah, I mean, we could we could go on endlessly, but we need to talk about the finale of this season, which has gotten a lot of attention. So if you are satisfied by our pitch, don't listen to this. Go watch 100 episodes of So Sunny Philadelphia and then come back and listen to this when you yeah, finish. Yeah, spoilers. Because uh, this is actually spoilable. So the last episode of the season was quite hyped if you were paying attention on the internet, which I was, because this was my my tiny little fandom for the past few months. Because it was going to be like the episode where they talk about, you know, Mac and his gay stuff. And it was very, very different from what anyone was expecting, myself included, in that it was centrally about him coming out to his very terrible father, who is incarcerated, uh, through interpretive dance. But it wasn't funny in the best possible Yeah, like the first half of the episode kind of builds like a normal Always Sunny episode where the other characters are trying to persuade Mac to dance on their pride float because they're like, we need to have an authentic gay guy. And then Mac is slowly kind of getting more insecure and you're like, oh, this is going to like a kind of serious place. And eventually kind of the revelation is that for the whole of this season, he's been like super jacked and muscular, which was this sort of running joke because in a previous series, series he like gained a bunch of weight for a joke. They um, gained like 50 pounds. And then this one, he became super ripped. And it's like, he, this was part of like the promo for the show. And then it just never played into anything. There were just all these scenes where he's like, should I take my shirt off? And people were like, no. And then it turns <laughs> out the reason he's super ripped is because he's been practicing this really intensive interpretive dance routine to come out to his father in prison. Which, like, is a comedy setup, right? I mean, that's preposterous. (laughs) But then the way that they execute it was just totally 
beautiful. Yeah, with not to make a pun, but they play it completely straight. Yes, like I mean, 100%. And the whole hook of it basically is that like his dad leaves halfway through and is not not into this. But Frank, who is the sort of father figure of the gang but has never really been he and Mac have never really clicked. Um has been telling him the whole episode, like, I don't get this gay thing, but I'm the one who has to, like, get you to come do this thing at the Pride Parade. He's the person who is, like, moved by this. Mm -hmm. And, like, he's he's Max, like, symbolic dad at the end, right? In a way that, because it's Danny DeVito, who is, like, a genius actor and doesn't get to normally do that kind of acting on the show, is also, like, incredibly moving in a surprising way. But the dancing, like you're watching it and you sort of realize at a certain point that it's not going to turn into a joke. That they're just playing it straight, as you say. And the choreography was like, we both like dance quite a bit as we were discussing recently on the Suspiria episode. And um, I thought it was, I watched it the second time last night and I thought it was incredibly well done because it's definitely, the choreography definitely means something, obviously. Um, there's a lot of religious imagery because he's a religious character and has obviously been struggling with this for a long time. Um, but it's not particularly overtly obvious what's going well, on. Well, something I really appreciate about this show is that um, at kind of like there's the, the couple of musical episodes where you see stuff that the characters have made. And it's really fun to watch. But there's also like the other level is that it's always very revealing in a way that they don't fully understand how it's revealing. And in Max's case, you've got this character who is absolutely unself-aware for like virtually the whole show. He cannot articulate his feelings in a coherent way. And he's also very dumb. He's made this like beautiful piece of art, which he's like had help from his dance partner, this woman. And kind of the concept is he's, he's like, he wants to come out to his father and it's, kind of displaying the way he feels inside, which is that God is this beautiful woman and that she's like comforting him, but he's also really troubled and there's this storm that he's in. Um, and like, you know, there's a scene where Frank makes a joke and he's like, you know, like you think God's like a beautiful woman, like Catholicism really fucked you up. Like you're not even attracted to women. This kind of thing. And that's kind of the point because it's like, you can get the emotional message behind it, but it is also slightly incoherent and like weird because yes. he doesn't have the emotional intelligence to actually like follow through fully. And because it's so well executed, like visually, it doesn't feel like it's disjointed or messy. Well, right. And the whole kind of, I mean, and like Rob McElhaney said that in um, the long interview that Vulture did that we'll link to, that like part of the point is that like Mac doesn't fully understand himself, which none of us do. But Mac in particular is like, cannot articulate what he is feeling verbally and that's why he's doing this dance but even with the dance he isn't capable of totally like he doesn't really fully get it and so of course it's not going to be this like incredibly straightforward thing but i think the reason it's so affecting is that it's like really great cinema right like where you're just kind of feeling the emotion of the thing without necessarily thinking totally articulately about it. And it's very telling that Mac, the character, developed this in secret away from the rest of the gang. Yes. Because as soon as he either told or attempted to involve anyone else, it would immediately like prevent anything from happening because he'd all turn it into a disaster or mock him. And like the only way he's been able to like have any kind of emotional development is by going to an outside source. Well, it was really interesting to watch, especially the second time, because, you know, we were 
talking a little bit before we started recording about how basically like every single person in this group is just desperate to be needed by someone else. Like that's how they all function. And that's why they are in this sort of vortex of each other is like, they just all want someone else to want them. And so they provide that kind of, you know, service for each other. And I mean, clearly they all do love each other in this weird dysfunctional way or else they wouldn't still be friends after however many years. But they're so needy that they wind up getting caught up in each other's bullshit schemes all the time because they just go along to get along in this emotionally dysfunctional way. And I think this is the only time really in the show that Max certainly, but it's unusual for any of the characters to be told to do something in the service of one of these plots and have him be like, no, I don't want to do that. That makes me uncomfortable. Like that's so not, that's so unusual. And because it has, because that's not how the show normally works, it was really, really effective. And they couldn't have, you know, every episode in the future continue to be like that. Like it wouldn't work at all, but to have just that one be that way I found incredibly powerful. And obviously then that character has to change slightly because if it, he didn't at all, then this would be like, what was the point of doing this? But um, I I just thought it was incredible. I thought it was the best episode of TV I've seen this year with the, the exception of a couple episodes of Succession, which is was my favorite thing that aired all year. Um, but I just like taking a swing that big and having it totally pay off. I, mm-hmm. I tip my cap And it was to really interesting to read about the behind the scenes stuff as well. Because yeah. it really... It's another one of these things that sort of drove home kind of the work and thought that goes into the show. Because obviously it was like the showrunner was kind of like doing this for his character. And, you know, there were these interviews with the choreographer they worked with and like the dance people. And like he hired the same cinematography who does sort of, I don't know, it was like Dancing with the Stars or something. And someone who did who worked on Magic Mike (laughs) and that sort of thing (laughs) to like produce this thing. And obviously in these interviews, they're always very effusive about each other and stuff. But... It, I, it did kind of feel like it rang true with one of these choreographers was like this guy who'd never danced before and was not a dancer just through sheer effort and sort of kind of observational skills managed to absolutely nail this very hard dance that essentially does make it look like he is a dancer. Oh yeah, he was great. Like he is really good in this episode. And obviously the um, female dancer whose name we really should have looked up beforehand because she's great in it too uh, is like a real dancer and she's the one doing the fancier stuff and she's fantastic but he's very very good um and uh it was i listened to a great uh interview with him on Dak shepherd's podcast that i'll link to and listening to him talk about he he didn't talk about doing that because it was before that had aired but he was talking about all the fitness stuff and then also about uh, the season where he gained all the weight and it was really interesting because he was so clinical about it as you would have to be if you were going to do that but he obviously is just like disciplined in a way that I cannot fathom being and I'm someone who's like has a full-time job does a podcast outside of my full-time job and is writing a novel like I'm a fucking workaholic I do a lot of stuff I have a certain level of discipline about that but like I don't understand how a person can do this like it it was insane but like, he was saying when he put on all the weight, he was like, yeah, it was just really interesting because I didn't tell anyone why I was doing it. And uh, 
I could tell that like, yeah, when people like stare, basically like stare at women's chests, he was like, they can tell because people were just like staring down at like his stomach. And he was like, and they would pretend they weren't, but I could see them. <laughs> but the way he was saying it was not like, and it made him feel really uncomfortable or whatever. He was just, it was like, he was just sitting there going, huh, that's interesting. I was just in, really fascinated by how sort of he was like, well, I'm just going to do this thing. And that's going to be really interesting. Well, it's kind of a different, it's a different mode of observational comedy than one usually sees. Yeah. I think. And also it sort of ties into the way that, you know, sort of the idea of making a show about extremely repulsive people who also have terrible moral and political values. And a lot of the time when people are making stuff like that, it's someone like Louis C.K., where you're kind of mining your own soul for filth. Yes. And in this, the reason why it's managed to continue for 13 years must be because these people are not mining their own souls for right. filth. Because you would just you would just be like completely, you would just have like a breakdown. Right. So they're finding it from somewhere. And they are kind of digging into sort of the dark side of unspoken thoughts that people have. But it's not like, all my own corruption is my gold mine. Yes. <laughs> Well, this is the thing, right? Is like, we all have, like you were saying about how the show, every once in a while, we'll, we'll hit on something and you'll be like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like I've had that bad thought. Or like, right, yeah. And, you know, all artists are fucked up and I'm sure these people have their issues and whatever. But there's a way that you can tap into that or observe those like really bad qualities in other people without just being a monster, <laughs> Like, it can be done. It's just that lots of men in Hollywood don't behave that way. And it seems from the outside, I hope it is the case, that these are actually people who just aren't awful. Yeah, (laughs) they're just, like, relatively chill. I mean, I feel like at this point, like, when you you watch as much much shit as we do (laughs) in our roles as as culture critics... um, like, you do kind of get an instinct for things like Joss Whedon, where kind of in the latter parts of his career, he'd write kind of slimy male nerd characters in order to have powerful women sort of step on him. Yeah. And you can kind of see in stuff like a lot of Aaron Sorkin's work and the way that he writes women, especially in the later years, like, Ugh. you can just tell the psychology behind it in quite a transparent way. And like, you don't really get that from this because the characters are so divorced from the people who are playing them. Yes. Well, right. It's not, I am certain that all of these guys' issues are in this show somewhere. Oh, I don't know what they are. Yeah. Which is great. I don't need to know. I don't need to know shit. (laughs) Yeah. This, we're all better for it. It's fun. You know, I find listening to the interviews with them really interesting, but I don't need to know all the, you know, it's, it, we're all good. It's fine. Yeah. I just love this show. It's, it's helped me in a bad year. It's been a nice release from many horrors. Yeah. And if you need more episode recommendations, hit us up on Twitter because we will have them. Oh yeah. So many. There's a really good one where they have to deduce who got de-pregnant at a party where oh each one God. of them has different drunken flashbacks. Oh, so good. <laughs> I mean, my favorite episode, predictably. I, or one of, one of maybe the top five. It's impossible to pick a singular 
singular favorite. Uh, they go, they all go to therapy. Predictably. I, I hit that one and I was just like, I am in heaven. <laughs> like, it's the Morgan episode. I loved it so much. I think when you started watching it, I just emailed you being like, can't wait till you get to therapy episode. You did. You sent me that exact email and I got to that episode and I was just like, oh, oh. <laughs> oh it's beautiful. Yeah. So if you did listen to the whole thing and haven't watched this show, uh, watch it. Uh, if you do watch this show, come talk to us on Twitter about it because it's great. Thank you as always uh, for listening either way. We really appreciate it. And I am not sure what we're going to be doing next week. Uh, we've recorded this a bit in advance, but I'm sure it will be entertaining as always. We have a couple things coming up that should be pretty good. If you would like to hear some extra content, you can find us at patreon.com slash overinvested podcast. Yeah, our you... most recent episode was a little mini episode about uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Yes. Which, which was bad. Yeah, yeah. I did not see it because I don't care. But you had to. So you told me how bad it was. And then we talked about the whole Harry Potter problem. So we recommend listening to that. Uh, and there will be more to come soon. And otherwise, you can find us at our website, overinvestedpodcast.com on Twitter at OverinvestedPod, or on Tumblr at OverinvestedPodcast. Thanks. Bye.